Hey everyone, welcome to the Being Patient Podcast. I'm Deborah Kahn, founder of Being Patient. When my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, I decided to use my skills as a journalist in a different way. Frustrated by the lack of information on science and the inability to get different expert opinions, I decided to quit my job at the Wall Street Journal to create a better platform for people impacted by dementia. We are a community where news and information is created by our team of journalists. We ask tough questions and we simplify the science so that anyone can understand. We don't only cover disease, but delve into the latest research on what it takes to keep our brains healthy. We invite the experts and ask your questions. Here's today's podcast. I hope you enjoy it. All right, we're live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to being patients live talk. And, uh, and today I'm really excited to have uh, music therapist Conchetta Tomeno uh, to speak with us about um, healing the brain and body uh, with music. And uh, Conchetta is the executive director and co-founder of the Institute for Music and Neurologic Function. So Conchetta, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Nicholas. Um, so, Conchetta, you know, you've been a music therapist for decades now. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you first got into the field and how you became interested in, you know, how music, um, the benefits of music for people with uh, neurological, um, fun- uh, neurological dysfunctions like, uh, like dementia? Sure. Well, I was uh, a college, in college, I was a pre-med student and had always been involved in in sciences, but also um, had studied music, played accordion when I was a kid and played trumpet in in high school. And when I was in college, I um, ended up being the double major in music performance and sciences because I wanted to take trumpet lessons with one of the professors. So I had to become a, a, a music major too. And then somewhere toward the end of my studies in college, I found out about the field of music therapy, which you know was established in the United States in the 50s, but I was in college in the 70s and there still weren't that many academic programs around that I could take part of. And I found uh, that the music therapy program, the graduate degree in music therapy had just started at NYU. And so I ended up doing my master's and then later my doctorate at NYU. But my first, one of my first clinical placements in the mid seventies was in a nursing home. And that's when I had my first experience with people who had suffered strokes, who could somehow move better to music than they could in physical therapy. People with aphasia related to their stroke that could actually sing words and speak after singing um, better than they could do in traditional speech therapy. And of course, there were people within stages of dementia who were seemingly non-responsive and didn't recognize anything about the environment or the people around them. And yet when I sang a familiar song, they not only came to life literally in the moment, um, but were able to sing the words. And so my geek head science background said, how could they possibly do that if their brain is so damaged and their memory is so impaired? what makes music so resilient in people's minds that they could recall words perfectly, even though they can't say who they are. Mm. And so that started me on my journey in the mid seventies to find out what we know about music in the brain. Can we use music more effectively to really address some of these 
uh, functional aspects that is still available to people, even though they may have a neurologic type of problem. And then of course, in, in 1980, I had the chance to um, start to work with Dr. Oliver Sacks at Beth Abraham when I became a full-time music therapist there by graduation. Mm, right. And um, yeah, and you've had a long collaboration, uh, collaboration with uh, Dr. Oliver Sacks and you, you eventually co-founded um, uh, Institute for Music and Neurologic Function with um, Dr. Oliver Sacks. Yeah, tell me a little bit about how like, um, you know, Dr. Sachs, um, you know, how um, you collaborate, collaborated with uh, Dr. Sachs. Uh, sure. at Abraham. Well, he was, he was the staff neurologist at the facility where we were. And in fact, it was the facility where uh, awakenings had taken place. That was a, a book that he had written and then eventually a film uh, about that whole uh, experience that came out in 19, I think it was 1990, 1991. Um, but his experience with music was in witnessing people who were immobile because of a post-encephalitic type of Parkinson's who could come to life and actually become um, not only mobile, but, but gain physical function when music was played, even though they couldn't move of their own volition. Um, I had had already had experience with people with stroke and, and end stages of Alzheimer's disease. And when I found that he was very interested in music, and, and had witnessed the influences of music therapy full, firsthand. Uh, within the first month that I was at Beth Abraham, he sought me out and we connected and we started talking about what is it about music that makes it so resilient and such a useful way of connecting to people who have these types of disabilities and impairments. And so for 35 years, um, we worked together to try to explore and, and explain and understand the dynamics of music and human function, not just music in the brain, but what is it about music that is um, so embedded in who we are as individuals? And then how can we use that in reaching people and helping them have the fullest life possible? Mm, right, and you know, one of the things that you mentioned to me before um, uh, in a previous conversation is, you know, how Dr. Sachs really, you know, when he was doing his exams with patients, like. Um, he was really, you know, focused on engaging the patient, right, and, and seeing the patient as a person, right, and I, I feel like music therapy must be, you know, um, um, like music therapy is really focused on that too, right, and engaging with the patient, right, and, and focus on, focusing on their abilities, right. Right, absolutely, I mean, Dr. Sachs Oliver was, was so focused on who that individual was, it, he wasn't the typical doctor that just made an exam and, and gave a diagnosis and then the treatment. He really wanted to know who this person was and, and how that person could have a, as fulfilled a life as possible. Mm -hmm. And in music therapy, the individual is always at the center of everything we do. In fact, the definition of music therapy is working in that psychodynamic interaction between the therapist and the client to address whatever the goals are that that person needs and, and understanding how music can help them reach those goals. Right, and yeah, I wanna speak a little bit about, you know, the science uh, of music and more specifically, you know, the science behind the benefits of music for patients uh, with Alzheimer's. Like, what do we know um, is happening like um, in their brains and 
that's happening when you know they're going through music therapy and yeah sure this you know it's it's such a dynamic process and i think scientists are still trying to identify all the different elements that um, are affected when when we hear and interact with music um, there's some things we know already they for example the auditory system has connections there's networks throughout the brain that are aroused and stimulated by patterns of sound and that those patterns of sound can actually drive and stimulate motor function and attention so we know that uh, we also know that we respond emotionally to certain types of sounds and of course the music that we love and that we form attachments for and and hold memories of become deeply embedded in our in the subcortical or stronger networks in our brain, they are still very well preserved. And so those emotional connections to a song that we love um, remain with us for, for quite a long time up until the very end. And so when you think about music, you think about vibrations in the air, you think about the tone of the, of the pitch of the music, you think about the notes coming together in harmony and the patterns of sound, it's very complex. And so to really understand exactly how each one of those things affect us neurologically is complex as well. So um, there's studies that look at the psychodynamic um, aspects of music interaction from a psychological point of view. They give us some answers about the importance of personalized music and, and interaction. And then there's some of the neuroscience studies that show us what happens in the brain when somebody responds to rhythm or what happens or what parts of the brain light up when a familiar song is heard. So we're starting to get glimpses of some of those impacts. And of course, um, there's more advanced studies going on now that look at some of those interactions in a way that help us explain it um, and, and provide some efficacy for the importance of music in, as a therapy. But I don't wanna lose the psychodynamic part of it too, because that's just as crucial. Right. And the fact that like music just um, engages with so many different parts of our brain and body. right? From, like, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's so much, it, you know, music is, is um, so much more resilient and, and well-preserved than say a visual cue. You know, um, visual perception is a higher cognitive, higher cortical function. Um, and so music allows some of these deeper, more, um, uh, I don't want to say simple, but lower parts of the brain networks that are more robust and resilient, that are still very much functional, that can be stimulated with music. Even if the person can't recognize the song by name, and they've lost that, those aspects of cognition, the sense of knowing and the sense of recognition is still very strong, and the emotional connections are still very strong. And that's one of the benefits of using personalized familiar music with people with neurocognitive deficits like Alzheimer's disease, because it allows us to reach those areas that are still functional and very well preserved. Yeah, then let, let's talk about like what um, like uh, music therapy would entail for you know patients living with uh, with Alzheimer's and like can you run us through like you know what uh, music therapists would offer for um, sure 
you know, it, 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 it's really it's really quite broad. Again, it, it depends on the individual. So in the early stages, you know, it's, say somebody has just been diagnosed uh, with a neurocognitive deficit like Alzheimer's, and they're starting to become forgetful, um, we may not use familiar songs with that person in the beginning. We may find ways of allowing them to be creative and expressive, um, maybe write songs, maybe put together words um, to lyric, you know, create lyrics and, and help them express themselves. And in doing so, actually build upon some um, memory skills, short-term memory skills, um, pairing of information. For example, we may um, have them create songs, not create songs, but find songs that they could connect with loved ones in the family. So when they can't recognize that person anymore, that song has already been associated with that person. And in, if that person visits, you know, singing that song together will help the person with dementia recognize who that person is. So things like that could be done in early stages or using music like a mnemonic tool, you know, creating a little um, melody or, or rhythmic pattern to help somebody recall and memorize their phone number or, or address. So, you know, using it more um, in a more directed way like that. Um, as the person loses the ability to recognize uh, loved ones, they're still able to express themselves. And so we may, and even in early stages may do a lot of improvisation and we may use percussion instruments. We may use melodic instruments. Um, like a keyboard and, and allow them to, to explore the sounds and create a soundscape with them. The, the main thing is to allow the individual to be as expressive as they can and to support that and to see how it allows them to um, either deal with emotional issues or memory issues. Um, and then, you know, toward when the person starts losing physical function and balance and coordination, there's ways of, uh, of using rhythmic patterns and, and rhythmic cueing of gait to help with balance and, and coordination and ability to move with more confidence. You know, so those are things that may be done in music therapy as well. And then we you know, we work with care partners, family members or staff of, of a facility to create playlists that of the person's personalized music to help them connect when, when a music therapist isn't there. Mm -hmm. We may use fine music that can help the person relax if they get agitated. There's certain, of course, certain times of day when the person may be restless. So finding music that can help them feel safe and comfortable and be able to calm, be calm. Right. And how about like in the, you know, in the very later stages yeah. of, of Alzheimer's or other forms of, you know, dementia, you know, what sure. role well, uh, music therapy? In, in well, that, that's the amazing thing about, about music is even in the very, very last stages, um, people still respond as long as they, as long as they still ha are able to hear and, and um, I won't say feel, but they, they can still hear the melody and still respond to that. Um, there's still a way of engaging them and having them be part of that. We may even improvise sounds if the person is making sounds. We may reflect those and use that as a way of acknowledging them and bring them into a musical experience. And maybe it's not a song, maybe it is. Um, 
but many times, and I have done research on this, even in the last stages, there's a there's this sense of recognition. The only time music doesn't work, and uh, this is where people need to be a little bit careful, is when people have are diagnosed with frontal temporal dementia. And in those cases, sometimes the area of the brain that perceives the actual pitch of music is damaged. And so the person only hears noise. It's almost like static in the array or whatever, however their brain perceives that activity um, can be very uh, uncomfortable and disconcerting for a person. So if you have, if somebody wants to try music with their loved one and sees that the person is pulling away, it could be that the, it's, they don't hear the music itself, it's, it's noise. Mm -hmm. And then the, of course, music, because it's so personal to us and because it holds so many deep memories, there could be music that makes us feel wonderful, but there's also music that can make us feel very sad. And so one of the things that music therapists are, are trained to do is to even if the if the music makes the person feel sad, allow if it's appropriate to allow them to express those feelings in a way that's meaningful. Um, but to a, a caregiver that maybe doesn't understand what's going on, that may be too challenging. And so what we usually suggest is to try to avoid songs that may be too difficult for the person to listen to emotionally. Mm, right, got it. And how about for you know for outside of music therapy? Like, do you have any suggestions of you know how caregivers or or people living with uh, with dementia themselves of how they can you know incorporate music into uh, care or in sure. You know, what, one of the wonderful things now, and, and especially after these past two years of COVID, we've learned how wonderful Zoom is and, and how connected we can be. Um, there are so many music videos online that people can gain access to. So if, if you liked, you know, doo-wop music or Motown or, you know, Frank Sinatra, whatever the music of, that you like to listen to, that's really available. And you should spend time, some time together each day to listen, maybe sing some of the songs. Um, definitely move to music. If, if you like to dance, put on some music. It, being able to be mobile actually helps with um, delay issues with balance and coordination. So if there's a, a good upbeat song that you could play to, to do some exercise and movement, that's, that's really great too. So there are resources online and so many um, organizations now do some, and we have a, a Facebook Live program on Tuesday mornings, but there's other organizations, uh, music organizations like um, some real established ones like Lincoln Center in New York that offer some programs online, especially geared for people with memory issues. And, and I'm sure there's ones in everybody's state mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And of course there's resources to find music therapists. Right. And one of the ones, uh, well, you mentioned there's a few that's good, right? And I'll just mention it here is uh, um, cbmt.org, right? That's that's a good one for... That's this, yeah, that's the certification board for music therapists. Hmm. So cbmt.org. And on that site, people can actually search by their city and you know, state to see where a board certified music therapist is located. Hmm. Right. And then music... Uh, musictherapy.org is another good one where people could uh, look for more resources on, on music. Right. So, that, so that's the American Music Therapy Association. And there they can also find um, if a music therapist is in their area or if there's a college program, because many times universities may have clinics and students who provide um, 
programs for the community. So they should look out for that as a resource. Got it. And, and lastly, uh, music and memory uh, is also, um, that's also a good uh, resource. So music and memory is a, is a program where they train uh, people who work in nursing homes, assisted living to create personalized playlists. It is, I'm on the board. I actually help with some of the advisement on that program. Um, but people can also find resources on the website to um, help them identify songs that may be good to use with their loved one. Mm -hmm. And they can always reach out to us too at the Institute. Got it. And, you know, for, you know, for, uh, for family members and people living uh, with dementia, I was wondering, you know, if they do want to seek a music therapist, you know, is, is, you know, asking like their primary care doctor or their neurologist um, for a referral, is that like a way, uh, a good way sure. to start aside from the resources that we talked about? Sure. You know, and one of the exciting things is that more and more, um, depending on what state people live in, music therapy is uh, reimbursable through some insurance com uh, companies. And many times uh, if it's uh, referred by a physician or by uh, maybe there's a case manager that they're working with, um, the referral to music therapy could be for a range of potential goals. So it could be for behavioral issues. It could be for psychodynamic type work. It could be for medical, actual physical type things to support physical therapy or speech therapy type goals, as long, you know, it's not to replace those therapies, because obviously those are professions in and of their, but to support some of those goals. Um, even people with frontal temporal dementia, um, there may be ways that sound and other types of things could help with some of the behaviors. And I've, we've had many uh, neurologists refer people to us because of that. Um, and then the family member or whoever the care partner is, can actually see where, if their insurance company will reimburse it. In um, some states now, like in New York State, behavioral health is covered under Medicaid. So we're looking to advancing some of the services through that. In some states, music therapists throughout the United States are board certified, so they'll have a credential MTBC. But in many states, in New York State, for example, if you work in behavioral health, uh, you have an LCAT, Licensed Creative Arts Therapist. And so other states may have other credentials that further um, show the professional nature of the music therapist. And, you know, one thing I, I forgot to ask you about uh, that you mentioned previously was, um, you know, so music therapists can also use music uh, as a form of um, uh, psychotherapy. Um, right. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what that is and, you know, in a music therapy, what, what does that entail? Like using sure. music as a form of psychotherapy. Sure. Well, the, the, um, depending on the individual, the session may be, like I said, an improvisation where the, the client may not be able to verbally express what they're feeling or may, they may have some resistances to express maybe a fear or depression, um, but there's this wonderful thing that happens when somebody's creating music with the therapist that they sort of go into this flow state, especially if that interaction, the, the music improvisation goes on for a while and the person sort of loses a little inhibition and is able to express in a very deeper way 
some of the feelings that they may have been holding back. And it allows if the person's able to verbally um, have a discussion with the therapist, that there could be a verbal element of that. But many times it's within the music itself that the person is able to express themselves. They don't even have to be musical to do this because the music therapist knows how to create uh, a safe way for the person to sound good and, and, and make the music to allow that expression. So maybe percussion instruments, maybe some types of melodic instruments or um, different types of tonal right. instruments. Right, like even for, um, for people who um, haven't necessarily had, you know, experience with an instrument, uh, musical instrument before, or, or, you know, haven't particularly enjoyed music before, um, music therapy could still be uh, an avenue that they can explore. Absolutely. And even for, you know, we, we've done uh, some in the music therapists work with the caregivers as well, because if anything, they, they have a lot of stress and things they need to um, take care of. So they, the care partner may actually look to see if there's support groups, music therapy support groups for them that allow them to um, not only engage in music, but use music as a creative outlet mm. and, and help them deal with some of the um, issues they may have as well. Mm. Somehow sharing music with a lot of people is a way of breaking through some of those barriers to conversation. Mm, right. And, you know, you mentioned how, you know, music could be helpful for helping people like, express, um, express themselves, right? Like, you know, could it be helpful for like people who just receive a diagnosis and having a hard time really um, coping um, with this, you know, life-altering diagnosis of, of dementia. You know, can music therapy like help people? You know, express yeah. what they're feeling at, at those. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Even even holding on, you know, um, allowing that person to to be creative and expressive and validate who they are and and their capacities that remains. You know, allowing that to happen. So even with this sense of you know, it's sometimes called ambiguous loss when you get um, this diagnosis and it seems like your whole world is falling apart at that point, to be able to hold on and to um, have avenues of self-expression and, and self-validation is so important mm. to, to maintain that as long as possible. Mm. And how about like group-based music therapy? Are there group-based music? Oh, yeah. yeah. So there's some, there's wonderful programs, um, group-based, there's percussion programs, drumming programs uh, that are, that happen all over the country. And then also um, in several areas, and people should look into this, there's choirs for people who have memory issues and, and their loved ones or partners. And so they should look and see if there's a choir in their, in their neighborhood that they could participate in. Hmm. Those are, are very successful. Hmm, right. And, and, you know, group-based therapy, I'm sure, comes with, you know, the, the benefits of having, you know, um, other people who are going through similar experiences, just being able to be in their company and engage exactly. in exactly. activity can be very important. Absolutely. Well, yeah, um, Conchera, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, any final words? Um, yeah. Well, only that people should, should really look to see if music therapy is available to them in, in their city and to um, take advantage of really bringing music into their life and, 
I mean, I'm hoping it is a part of everybody's life, but to really um, find ways of using it with their loved ones and to make it a family affair mm. so they can maintain those relationships as long as possible and a very strong, at a very strong level. Well, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your insights, Conchetta. Um, my pleasure. And for our audience, if you've missed uh, any parts of this live talk, we'll upload a recording uh, to YouTube. And uh, if you haven't signed up to our newsletter yet, don't forget to sign up on our website. Uh, thank you all for joining. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on upcoming interviews, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at beingpatient.com. That's B-E-I-N-G-P-A-T-I-E-N-T.com. And send us any feedback you may have, whether it's someone you want us to interview or any comment about our podcast series. You can do so by emailing info at beingpatient.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Deborah Kahn.